You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Open to 1 Timothy chapter 6. To stand with me, we're going to read together verses 20 and 21. This is the closing words uh, of the Apostle Paul. These are those words to young Timothy, his protege. In fact, he has put the mantle of his responsibility upon Timothy. And he writes these words in closing, closing his first letter to him. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to your trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings. Actually, you may read the words there, worldly and empty chatter and oppositions of science, falsely so-called, which some, professing, have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will guide in the presentation of this message which you have placed upon my heart. I pray, Heavenly Father, that it would not lack in force, but neither would it lack in love and grace, that it would not lack in and impact, but neither would it lack in truth and veracity. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be the one who would speak to our hearts this morning, and I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me tell you that as this message unfolds, I believe you will develop a growing concern for the fact that evolutionism is taught these days as fact rather than fiction, as fact rather than theory. For instance, if you were to pick up um, an encyclopedia this morning, just to check, I picked up a, uh, a volume of the World Book Encyclopedia. And the World Book Encyclopedia says that evolution is one of the two most fundamental facts concerning contemporary biologist. That is a fundamental fact. It goes on to state, and of course there are these charts which show the how man has evolved. It goes on to state there is a vast amount of evidence supporting evolution. We're going to look at the reality of that in just a few moments. And then finally it says most scientists believe that man evolved four and a half billion years ago and that contemporary evolution is that which concerns itself with the last 500 million years during which the more sophisticated life forms such as flowers, plants, animals, including human beings, have evolved. Most scientists, vast amount of evidence, fundamental fact, you see. This is what it says in your world book encyclopedia. Now, there are three statements that I want to make this morning and if you are a university student or high school student or if you are in an arena where you are dealing with people who hold to the theory of evolutionism, I would encourage you to listen and listen very carefully. Timothy, keep that which is committed to your trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science so-called which some professing have erred straying from the faith or erred concerning the faith. Three statements I'd like to make this morning. First of all, I believe evolution or evolutionism should be exposed and opposed because, quite simply, 
every believer in Christ has a fundamental responsibility. Let me say it again. Every believer in Christ has a fundamental responsibility. Now, I'm getting this one out of the way because many people who oppose Christianity and creationism would say, well, you just believe that because you believe the Bible. And so you're expecting me to say this, and so I'm going to say it. Every believer has a fundamental responsibility. What did Paul say to Timothy, for instance? Keep that which has been committed to you. Now, what had been committed to Timothy? It was the Holy Scripture, the Bible, a copy of which you hold in your hand, the Word of God, inerrant, infallible, inspired, and by the way, even though textbooks have come and gone, and theories and propositions have come and gone, the Bible has remained. It is indeed the Word of God. So Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, guard, the word keep there literally means guard the Scripture, guard the Scripture. Now, let me just put it out here on the table for you. If evolution is true, then the Bible is not true. Let me say it again. If evolution is true, the Bible is not true. Now, there's some who are going to try to force evolution into a Bible system. But if evolution in its purest sense is true, the Bible is not true. If evolution is true in its purest sense, neither is there any God who is the creator. All right? So in the beginning, there was not God. And in the beginning, God did not create the heavens and the earth. Now, why is that the case? Well, just follow with me for a few moments. First of all, evolution speaks of what is called spontaneous generation. Back billions of years ago, in some primordial ooze, and nobody knows how that primordial ooze got there, but in some primordial ooze, there was a chance meeting. And in that chance meeting, life was spawned. That's what the evolutionist says, just basic life. As small as a cell or a simple bacterial cell, life was spawned. It was an accident. It was a chance meeting. Now, the evolutionist further would say that everything that is alive now on this planet Earth, everything that has ever lived, whether it is plant or animal life, can be traced back to that original accident or accidents. They admit that there may have been more than one. That, that original chance cellular meeting or molecular meeting that occurred in that primordial ooze. And in spite of the fact that science will readily admit that mutations do not normally, in fact, rarely, in fact, if ever, provide for an increase in capacity, but rather mutations generally, if fact, if not always, uh, instead of making something better, make something worse, but they would say that mutations over this period of billions of years have caused these simple forms to evolve into more complex forms. Instead of wearing down, things are wearing up. And that you, as a human being, are a result of a series of accidents over a period of billions of years. You are not created 
And it's a fact you are, as a matter of fact, you are probably not God's ultimate being. This is directly contrary to the Scripture, which says that man has been made of God, man is the focus of God's attention, man is made a little lower than the angels. But man is not the ultimate. In fact, you're just one in a series of steps that you are, you are on your way. Now, because of this, evolution says that you really have no purpose. You serve no function because who would you be serving? There is no God. The evolutionist says there is no eternal destiny for your life. The evolutionist says you will not be brought into account for anything that you do. That's why evolutionism and existentialism, living for the moment without any regard for principles or laws of the future or the traditions of the past, is uh, existentialism. And so existentialism and evolutionism go hand in hand. And there are those who say, well, I believe in evolution, but I believe in theistic evolution. That is that God created us we have evolved yet. In, 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 you see, we've evolved out of chance, but God's in charge of the chance. Do you understand how foolish that reasoning it is? You see, God is either a sovereign God and in charge of everything, or He is not. We are either created or we were not created. As a matter of fact, um, it's very interesting to me that many, not just a few, but many people of note absolutely decry the idea of evolution. As a matter of fact, I was reading just last night a statement by Dr. T.N. Tomasian. He works with uh, the United States Atomic Energy Commission. He made this statement, scientists who go about teaching evolution as a fact of life are the great con men of this generation. The story they are telling may be the greatest hoax ever. In fact, he says in explain, explaining evolution, we do not have one iota of fact. Now, what I want you to see is that if you believe in evolution, you believe that you have no purpose, you have no eternal destiny, you owe no one any ultimate accountability, you don't have to worry about whether there's going to be a heaven or whether there's going to be a hell, you don't have to be worrying about the way you behave today, you'll not suffer any consequences for it. And what I want you parents to see who so glibly accept evolution as your children go off to school and they come home and saying, well, I just believe this because the teacher said it or because I read it in some book, what I want you to see is that the number one, now let me say it again, the number one cause for the lessening of the value of human life in American society is this underlying teaching that man just evolved, there is really no God anyway, I do not have to give an account for it, and human life is not all that valuable because really it's just a result of a bunch of accidents. And so let me just state right at the beginning what you knew I was going to state, and that is that you cannot believe in the Scripture and believe in evolution. You cannot believe that God is in charge and yet it was an accident. You cannot say God is in charge of the chance. God is in charge of the accident because if, it's, if God is in charge, there's no chance, there is no accident. And by the way, we're talking about the human species, of course, uh, species being one of the most narrow and fundamental ways of describing life. We talk about uh, phylums and families and genus and species and so forth. These would be that group which can interbreed, have many likenesses. There are many people who just believe 
that as a matter of fact, they're just related because there are some things they have in similar with all living things. They're just related, but they have evolved because of the particular environment in which they live. You see, that's what Darwin taught. Now, I want to tell you, dear friend, that you cannot believe in evolution and believe that God is the creator simultaneously. You must understand that. So every believer in Christ, you have a fundamental responsibility to protect the Scripture. Now, the question is this, and that brings me to my second point this morning. The question is this, then. Is evolution true and the Bible not true? I mean, if I'm going to give myself to protecting the scriptural account, I want to know whether evolution is true, because if it is true, the Bible is not true, and I'll go out here and as avidly protect evolution instead of the scripture as I am the scripture. So I want to know if the Bible is true or if evolution is true. Now, the Apostle Paul uses three statements to describe people like evolutionists and beliefs like evolutionists. First of all, he says, avoid profane babblings. Secondly, he says, avoid empty or vain babblings. And thirdly, he says, they are the oppositions of science or knowledge, the word gnosis, science falsely so-called. So what I'd like to do in these next few moments, and here's where I really want you to zero in with me, I'd like to show you that evolution is not only to be opposed because we have a fundamental responsibility, but evolution should be opposed because it is based, now listen, it is based on foolish or flawed reasoning. It is based on foolish or on flawed reasoning. Now, let's look at these three terms. First of all, the Apostle Paul says, avoid profane or worldly babblings. Now, here's what that means. He says, Avoid that which comes out of the world. It is a matter of record that the evolutionist begins with a conclusion and then finds evidence to support a conclusion he has already made. What is the initial conclusion which the evolutionist has in his heart before he ever looks at the evidence? It is this, there is no God. The evolutionist begins with, with the conclusion. I have concluded there is no God, so I'm going to go out here and develop for me a system. I'm going to assimilate facts, and I'm going to interpret them in such a fashion that it will prove to me that my conclusion is right, that there is no God. Sylvia uh, Baker, by the way, I'm, I'm very... Uh, uh, much indebted for this statement to uh, some folks in our church who, who left a couple of books on my desk. I was in the process of preparing for this message. One uh, day I, I found a couple of books on my desk, and I appreciate the Droskies very much. And in one of these books, uh, Sylvia Baker had uh, written an article. Well, the book is entitled The Bone of Contention. She is uh, highly trained. As a matter of fact, she is a biology graduate of the University of Sussex. And for many years, she held to the fact that you could be a Christian because she was truly born again and that you could believe in evolutionism at the same time. And so she, she writes about what was the turning point in her life. Now, this is rather lengthy, but I want you to hear it. Now, remember that evolutionism be, is based on the fact that mutations move things upward, not downward. And that what happens is that a mutation causes something to happen in a simple, a less simple uh, uh, organ or organism, less simple uh, uh, unit of life that makes it more advantageous for the environment that it is in. 
She says, the turning point came one day at a seminar when we were discussing the evolution of the vertebrate eye. Now, you're a vertebrate because you have backbone. At least most of you have some backbone. And uh, <clears throat> so you're a vertebrate. She said, we're discussing the evolution of the vertebrate eye. The eye is an extremely complicated organ whereby light is directed to the back of the eye to cells which are sensitive to it. It also has that even more intricate arrangement whereby the information then travels to the visual part of the brain so that we actually see something. So she said, we began at the seminar to discuss how this marvelous organ might have evolved. For an hour, she says, we argued round, around, and around in circles. Its evolution was clearly impossible. She says, every member of the class concluded that. It was absolutely impossible. All the specialized and complex cells are supposed to have evolved because of advantageous mutations in some more simple cells that were there before. But what use is a hole in the eye, in the front of the eye, to allow light to pass through it if there are no cells in the back to receive that light? Or what use is a lens over that hole which forms an image if there is no nervous system to interpret the image? How could visual nervous system have evolved before there was an eye to give it light? He said, it's absolutely impossible. In other words, it, it all had to happen at the same time. You had to have a brain that can, can take the information simultaneously with the moment that the light first came in for there to be any advantage whatsoever. So she says, we discussed the problem from every possible angle, but in the end, we had to admit that we had no idea how this might have happened. Now, these were, these were all evolutionists, including herself. Then she said, I said that since it is impossible to describe how the eye could have evolved, the honest and the scientific thing to do was to admit the possibility, just admit the possibility it had not evolved. She said, my words were followed by a shocked silence. The lecturer at the seminar then said that he refused to enter into controversy. Now, this is really scientific, isn't it? I don't want to talk about it. Others in the group began to mock me for believing in God. She said, I had not mentioned God. You see, to them, it is either evolution and no God or God, you see? That's what you need to understand. She said, I had simply been trying to view the problem in an objective and scientific way. It then became clear to me that the theory of evolution is unscientific, that the mutation theory is hopelessly inadequate. I could not it could not possibly account for the development of even the most simple organism, much less such wonders as the vertebrate eye. By the way, uh, the reason that, that quote is so interesting to me is that Charles Darwin himself said that that as far as he was concerned, the evolution of the human eye seemed absurd. Now, Darwin said that about his own theory. The point I want you to see is that it is a profane babbling. It is arriving at occlusion. It is saying in the first place, I will not believe anything that says there is a God. Therefore, whatever system I develop has got to rule God out. It is, an empty, it is a profane babbling. Now, notice the second thing that he says. He says here, what does he say? He says it is empty. He said, avoid profane and vain or empty chatter. What is empty chatter here in the Scripture? It is, uh, it is a statement without any substance. It's just rambling on. It, it, it's saying more and more on the basis of assumptions. Read that quote that's in your order of worship this morning when Malcolm Muggridge says uh, evolution will be one of the greatest jokes of the future, that history books will record as one of the greatest jokes of the future. 
But everybody says there is so much evidence. I, I was intrigued by that statement in the World Book. There is vast amounts of evidence for evolution. Let me read to you from the scientists themselves. Uh, Lyle Watson in the Science Digest in 1982 makes this statement. The remarkable fact is that all the physical evidence we have for human evolution can still be placed with room to spare inside one coffin. You don't believe that? John Reeder in The New Scientist in March of 1981 makes this statement. The entire hominid collection, that's the collection that proves evolution for the human being, the entire hominid collection known today would barely cover a billiard table. But it has spawned a massive science because more can be said about what is missing than what is present. Now, friends, that's not science. See, that's speculation. By the way, people often say things like, they say, well, what about all these discoveries? I want to tell you something. If you go dig up a graveyard, you can find people with all different kinds of heads anyway. You can find horses all different kinds of sizes anyway. But, but let's, let's just, let's just uh, go to some of these discoveries that are supposed... One of, the, one of the most interesting was the discovery of uh, Lucy. Um, if your name's Lucy, this is not in reference to you. But this was the skull. Little girl, suppose, in fact, uh, Richard Lakey. You remember Richard Lakey over in Kenya? He comes around the corner, big anthropologist, and he discovered, he says, man, this proves the presence millions of years ago of human beings, but this is in an evolutionary form. Now, I want to read you what his son said about that. Richard Lakey's son says about this Lucy skull, Lucy's skull was so incomplete when his father found it that most of it was imagination made out of plaster of Paris. By the way, uh, the, the mecca for liberal applications of science, the University of California at Berkeley, I thought it was really interesting that recently... Uh, See, the anthropologists there have uh, had this bone which for a long time they have believed was the collarbone of a five-million-year-old human being. And recently they admitted that it was just a dolphin rib. But, but you see, there, there are books written saying we have the collarbone of a five... And, and those books are in the hands of people today. But they finally admitted, well, you know, really the truth of the matter is that's just a dolphin rib. People go berserk about uh, uh, what they would call dating on the basis of, of the presence of radioactivity. You know, originally we talked about carbon-14, but there are other kinds of dating as well. But you know, that's one of the most flawed ways of dating. In the first place, you don't date the bones. You just date the rocks that are around the bones. But that's called uh, radiometry. And um, radio, let me read you a statement from William Stansfield. He's uh, a professor at the California Polytechnic State University, and he wrote a book, which is a textbook produced by Macmillan, called The Science of Evolution. It is a book that you use to, to prove evolution. But in the book, here's a statement that he makes. Radiometric techniques may not be the absolute, um, uh, the absolute dating method that they are thought to be. They are not absolutely reliable there are no absolutely reliable long-term radiological clocks. And as a matter of fact, he goes on to say, these uncertainties in dating are disturbing to geologists and especially to evolutionists. Now, what I want you to see is that you have a whole system here built on nothing. Built upon evidence that can be put in a coffin or on top of a billiard table or, as Richard Lakey's son said, imagination made out of plaster of Paris. 
And so, first of all, they are profane. They're out of the world. There's no God. Therefore, whatever the system is, it can't admit God, as Susan Baker discovered. Secondly, it's vain. It's got to be, I've got to imagine this thing together. And the third, look at the third statement. He said, oppositions of science, so-called. To to translate this, it would go something like this. Opposing arguments by the use of false knowledge. Opposing arguments. In other words, twisting the truth to prove a point. That's what that means. Do, uh, Do evolutionists do that? You better believe they do that. How many of you have heard, and as a matter of fact, this is a fundamental tenet of evolution, that if, if it is true, your ancestors are in the sea, right? I mean, they came up out of the sea. Well, uh, Barbara Stahl, writing in a book, Vertebrate History and Problems in Evolution, admits this. She says, none of the known fishes in the sea are thought to be directly ancestral to the earliest of land vertebrate. We'll just admit it. We can't find any connections. How many pictures? As a matter of fact, this was in the World Book Encyclopedia that I looked at this morning just to check. And you can find it in any book in your home that has to do with the subject. How many pictures have you seen that show how all this happened? And then you see reptiles which evolved into birds. You know, you see these reptiles, and they look sort of funny, and they have little claws, and then pretty soon the tail goes off, and where the claws are, they're feathers and so forth. And these reptiles uh, evolve into birds. Listen to W.E. Swinton now. W.E. Swinton is the... uh, curator at the British Museum of Natural History. He wrote a a massive book called The Origin of Birds. I can't imagine anyway, but if you're going to write about something, The Origin of Birds, I guess, is uh, something good to write about. But he says in that book, there is no fossil evidence of the stages through which the remarkable changes from reptile to bird have been achieved. There's just no evidence. Now, we've imagined it. Here Here we got encyclopedias that your children have in their hands saying this is the way it happened. You go down to to um, Disney World and a good time will be had by all but I want to tell you something they will teach your kids evolution this is how man began open up the textbooks in the classroom it will teach evolution this is how man began God didn't create you're not responsible to God you don't owe God anything you're not here because of God you happen you're a wonderful series of accidents Ronald West uh, by by the way uh, People say, well, science supports evolution. No, scientists do, but science does not support evolution. As a matter of fact, Ronald West, who's nearby here, he's a Ph.D. at the University of Kansas in paleobiology. Now, that puts the best of both of them together. And he writes this. He says, contrary to what most scientists write, the fossil record does not support the Darwinian theory of evolution. It just doesn't. And so when you read all science believes most, no, they don't. Now, they don't, if you don't believe in God, you've got to figure out some way this all happened. But you know what? That if you open the Bible and you read the biblical account of the creation and the flood, let's just take that much because Jurassic Park is so on the minds of everybody. So let me just take that much. If you read the biblical account of creation and the flood, you will discover that the evidence, the geological evidence, the fossil, all of the fossil evidence, all of it supports what the Bible says. For instance, let's, let's look at some of the sports. Uh, if, you, if you believe in evolution, you would believe in the gradual progression of fossils through stages of rock. Now, at the most, you usually find three, maybe four levels of rock. And I'm going to say this in a minute, but let me just, uh, again, in a minute, because it will fit someplace else too, but let me just say that three-fourths of the rocks on the face of the earth, it's what's called sedimentary. It was laid down underwater, by the way. And the, the other is igneous rock. All of this fits 
perfectly with, with uh, what the Bible says. But you'd expect there would just be this progression. As, as this sedimentary rock is laid down, they call it sometimes the geological column, that there'd just be a gradual progression. You, you don't find, suddenly you just find these animals appearing. Occasionally you might find here where there's a simple animal, and maybe in this strata up here there may be more complex animal. But the second thing that you've got to understand is that there are no reliable fossil links between one and the other. You just find this, and then you find that, but no links. And if, if there was evolution, you would find thousands of minute changes. Thousands! Not, well, maybe millions of minute changes from one animal to the other. I mean, the fossil record would be filled with those. They're not. They're not. Uh, you would find, if, if the flood, there was creation of the flood, you would find vast fossil burial grounds. You do. I mean, you find the number one uh, location for ivory in the world today is in Siberia, where these mastodons were just covered over immediately and frozen immediately. By the way, I'll show you how this, this all fits in in just a little bit, but immediately. As a matter of fact, the race is on out there as rivers cut through. Uh, this strata, well, these mastodons are exposed with their ivory and the race is between the scientists and the wolves because the meat was frozen so quickly that the predators can still eat it. As I said, you'd, you'd expect there to be reliable linkage. The scientists themselves say there's no reliable fossils which link one to the other. Creationism and the flood would explain what is called giantism. This is the Jurassic Park uh, approach. What is giantism? Say, well, where do these huge animals come from? We can't deny that they were there. We have, the, we have the remains of them. Where did they come from? That when God created the earth and put animals on the earth. That's how they were created. You said, now, wait a minute. How could, they li how could animals like that live? Well, let me just tell you that the Bible says that when God created the earth, there was a firmament around the earth. You know what this was? This was a protective canopy around the entire earth, like a, a mist. It would settle down over the earth during the daytime. It would, uh, in the evening time, it would rise up during the nighttime. The, sun, it, the earth was protected from the harmful rays of the sun. But you know what else? It allowed for there to be what we would call sort of a tropic and in some, some instances subtropical climate all over the earth. That's why you find ferns, for instance, clear up in the poles, the, the polar regions, you'll find ferns that are 90 feet in length giant ferns, huge animals that could live in this kind of wonderful climate. You say, well, when did they all die? Somebody asked me this week, said, you're going to tell us when they all died? Right, they all died in the flood. They all died in the flood. You say, well, wait a minute. <clears throat> what about those that were on the ark and they, they got off of the ark? They couldn't live in this new kind of environment. It's just as simple as that. I mean, all of a sudden, you see, when, when rain started happening, God judged the earth, that firmament disappeared. The sun began to beat down on this earth. You had these poles where there was freezing almost immediately as the waters began to recede, thrusting up. The Bible says the bowels of the earth open up, this thrusting up. That's why you find, you go to the Swiss Alps, go to the Matterhorn, for instance, in the Swiss Alps, go to the very top of the Matterhorn. What do you find in the layers of rock up there? You find the fossils of sea animals on top of the Matterhorn. Thrusting up, you see. Well, you would find cataclysm. You'd find this sudden extinction of animals, which you find, of course, these animals frozen as the, this, this cataclysmic judgment of God, the flood, occurred. And by the way, let me just say, for those of you who are geologists here, that the geological column, and I think you know this, 
the geological column does not support evolution as such. I mean, studies of the geological column just go down. In the first place, it's very hard to find more than just three or four at the most strata. But the geological column just does not support it. And so it is an opposition. It's, reason, it's twisted reasoning to prove your point. Now you say, you say Brother Tom, why, why do you get so bent out of shape about this? I mean, it's just because you believe it and you want to get up here and, and prove that you've read some science, what some scientists have said in some books. No, I want to bring you this. This is the last thing that I want to share with you this morning. And that is that evolution has a fatal result. Evolution, when you teach evolution, you believe in evolution, you just grant evolution, it has a fatal result. You see, when you trundle your kids off to school, they come home saying, well, Mom and Dad, I don't believe you're right. Well, I believe in your God, but I also believe in evolution. You don't even think, how can I explain to them that you can't believe in this and believe in that? And should I go down there and say something to the teacher about it? You better believe. You better believe. You know what they'll tell you? They'll say, you're crazy. You're non-scientific. Can you imagine that? Non-scientific, show me your evidence. Well, you know, I just, it, 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 you see, it is a conclusion a priori that there's no God, therefore I've got to have a system. But there is a fatal result. Notice what he says in that final scripture. Some professing have erred concerning the faith. Now, here's what I want to say to you. If you defend evolution, you must move away from the position of the Christian faith. If you defend, in order to defend evolutionism, you have to move away from the Christian faith. I wouldn't ever preach about it if it were not so pervasive in our society. It's just an assumption. Man evolved. This is how we happen. Go down to the local museums here in Oklahoma City. They'll show you how you evolved. We call it the theory of evolution. It is taught as fact. It's one of, as that article said, the fundamental principles, one of the two fundamental principles with which most bio of the bio biological sciences deal. It explains the way we came to be, it goes on to say in that article. Because you have to deny God as creator. You have to deny man as the ultimate object of God's creation. Man who was given the responsibility, as God said in the Scripture, to replenish and subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Man who is accountable to God for his sin. You have to deny the whole business of sin because sin is not inherent within you. What you do is just a result of your circumstances and your environment. You have no sin nature. You have no consequences, no ultimate destiny. And by the way, there's no reason for Jesus to have died for you. Why would Jesus die for you? Why didn't he die for the monkeys that were before you? Or why didn't he wait, hang around and die for that greater created being, our greater evolved being, which is going to occur after you? Why would Jesus have come for you, the Son of God? You see, to hold to evolution, you must move away from the faith. As a matter of fact, in March of 1861, just a couple of years after Darwin wrote the fact, uh, the origin of the species by natural selection, he said, I still hold to the theory, but I cannot prove one single case in which natural selection has changed from one species to another. I can't prove it. I'm holding to it. But he said, I can't prove it. Sir Fred Hoyle, who's professor of astronomy at Cambridge University, said in 1981, the chance that higher life forms have emerged in this way is comparable to the chance that a tornado sweeping through a junkyard will produce a 747. Dr. Michael Walker, who is a senior lecturer on anthropology at Sydney University, said recently, one is forced to conclude that many scientists and technologists pay lip service to the Darwinian theory 
only because it supports the exclusion of a creator. And they have made up their minds there is no creator. Listen, young people, the Bible says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. You're a, cre you're a wonderful creation of God. He has a plan for you, a beautiful plan for your life. And you'll be held accountable before God for whether you find yourself in the center of God's will or whether you resist, go outside the will of God. Now, we've heard what all these people have to say. I think it's important for us to hear what the Scripture has to say about evolution. What happens if you take the road of the evolutionist? Now, I'm going to read these verses right here in the closing moments of this message. This is God's testimony about what happens if you move away from evolution. Let me ask you, listen, if this is what has happened in America. Now, you just, just, just ask yourself this question. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, who don't treat the truth right. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. You can know about God through what he made. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but they became vain or empty in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. And so professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. And so God gave them up to the uncleanness through the lust of their own heart, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. They change the truth of God into a lie. They worship and serve the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up. Oh, what do we have now? Vile affections. Women change their natural use into that which is against nature. Lesbianism. Likewise, men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. This is a result of believing there's no God, there's no creator. I don't have to give an account. God has no principles. There is no moral code. Likewise, men burned in their lust one toward another, one another. Men with men working that which is unseemly. They received in themselves the recompense of the error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not right. Being filled, here's what happened with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. They were filled with envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters. They became haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. They became disobedient to their parents without understanding. They were covenant breakers without natural affection. They were implacable. They were unmerciful and knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death. They don't only do them, but they enjoy watching other people do them. Does that sound like America in the 20th century? Where did it all begin? Professing themselves wise, they became as foolish. They took the things that were created, and instead of worshiping the Creator, they worshiped creation. You think evolution doesn't need to be exposed and opposed? It does. The Scripture says it does because it has a fatal result. It comes from flawed reasoning. I have, a, I have an awesome responsibility, a foundational responsibility to expose it so that you might oppose it and that you might hold to the fact that your Bible says there is a God, He's a creator, and you are accountable to Him. In a few moments, we're going to stand together. Our choir is going to lead us as we sing together a hymn of invitation. Listen, friend, here's what I want to encourage you to do. It could be that you have vociferously, vociferously held 
to evolutionism. You've thought, well, this just goes along with my faith. You know, I mean, God is a God of chance. How could you believe God that it's a chance if God's in charge? And you may need simply to come to this altar and on your knees say, Dear Lord, I see the truth. I, I, I want to put that aside and accept you as my creator and worship you. And I would encourage you to come to this altar. It could be that you're in an arena where you need to know the truth about that. You want to ask God at this altar, God, give me the backbone to deal with this. I believe there are those in this auditorium this morning to whom the Lord is speaking about becoming a part of this church as an individual, as a family. I want to encourage you, young or old, when we stand in a few moments, make your way to an aisle, make your way forward, and just tell one of these counselors, look, I want to join this church. I want to be a part of this family. I believe in what God is doing here. I would encourage you to just share that with a counselor, and they'll talk with you and pray with you and give you some information that will help you. It could be that you've never openly confessed faith through the symbol of baptism since the day you trusted Christ. You want to come tell one of these counselors, look, I saw those people being baptized. I need to do that. I want to go on record as the fact that Christ is in my heart. Tell one of these counselors. Jesus commanded it. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I say? And I believe that there are those here this morning who have never really truly trusted in Christ. When did you do that? What is your testimony? When did you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? You say, well, I'm not really sure. You know, when, what time was it? I pray all the time. I ask God to help me all the time. But I don't really have the confidence that I, if I died, I have eternal life. Well, I want to encourage you, whoever you are, when this invitation is given, come find one of these counselors at the front and say, look, I want to settle that issue. This morning, he will forgive you of your sins. He'll give you eternal life. He'll come to dwell within you. He'll take you to heaven when you die. He'll give you peace and purpose on this earth along with the pardon that he gives you. He'll give you all of that if you will repent of your sin and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. And young or old, I want to encourage you when we stand to come find one of these counselors and say, look, I want eternal life. Just share that with one of these counselors. I want to receive eternal life this morning. Don't, don't get involved in anything else that happens down here at this altar. You find a counselor, I want eternal life. They'll go with you and talk with you and pray with you and give you some information. In a few minutes, you'll be gone knowing that heaven is in your heart, that you're a creation of God, made in the image of God, and one day you're going to go live with God forever in heaven. That can all happen if you'll receive Christ by faith as your Savior this morning. I urge you to make that decision. I want God's gift of eternal life. Share that with a counselor here. If you've made a decision in recent days and we've not introduced you to this church family. For instance, those of you who were baptized this morning, I want you to come on the very first word along with these others. Make your way over here where it says seating for new members so we can introduce you to your new church family. Others of you who may have joined our church recently and we've not done that, had the privilege of doing that, you come so we may introduce you in just a few moments. Your invitation to say yes to Christ. Would you give your life to Jesus? Wouldn't you like to know that when you leave from this place, your sins are forgiven, you're on your way to heaven, you've got peace and purpose in this life. It can all be yours if you'll trust in Jesus as your Savior this morning. Let's stand together. In a few moments, I'm going to lead us in time of prayer. The moment I say amen, the choir will begin leading us as we sing with them, and I would urge you to slip out with the many others who'll be coming and say yes to Christ this morning. Just think of it. You don't have to go through life thinking you just happened. There's no accounting. There's no reason for your life. You can receive Christ by faith as your Savior. You can know your wonderful purpose in life this morning. Father in heaven, I pray now, trusting that your Holy Spirit moving among us will bring people to this altar, people to join this church, people to be baptized, people who will say, I want to trust in Jesus and have eternal life. Young and old, dear Lord, bring to this altar those that will trust in you. And I pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake, for the sake of these who need to say yes this morning. Amen. God bless you. Let's come right now. As the choir leads us, you just step to the aisle. I'm saying yes to Jesus.